if I could uh, if I could execute Craig on the guillotine, his total lack of regard for our our high purposes here at this podcast recording. Yeah, Craig, your your indifference is absolutely monstrous. You're a monster. <laughs> it's in a way, it's his fault whenever uh, someone kills their father. Except a coffee from the funeral home guy, too. Like, what the <laughs> that fuck? was the funniest part in the in the in the book when when the prosecutor's like, "Okay, sure, he can offer him coffee, but a good son would have turned it down." <laughs> like for some reason, offering it is within the script. Yeah, yeah, but accepting it is completely incorrect. <laughs> You're an evil monster if you do that. Yeah, that's absurd. In in the in, in the fullest way, not the philosophical. I just like come. <laughs> that defense lawyer, that poor defense lawyer. <laughs> he was like, the only sane one in that moment of like, come on. <laughs> yeah, and he was getting no help from from Merceau. I, maybe um uh for a Kafka short story, it would have been just that lawyer's perspective. Oh, for sure, definitely. That that would that would be Kafka esque if it was all just the lawyer's perspective <laughs> dealing with that prosecutor. This- <laughs> right this this guy the completely this completely like dead-faced guy not particularly reacting to anything the prosecutor putting at his feet the the greatest i don't know sins of humanity the worst and the the logic of the legal system just rolling through real stuff there, there's definitely uh, a uh, political component to absurdism I think that's the abolition. Right. Of the de- that's the abolition of the death penalty. Yeah, that was. Um, I guess we can get to it later, but I feel like the second half is more like explicitly philosophical than the first half in terms of like here's an argument and here are justifications for that argument, or here's what would follow from this conclusion. Right. And yeah, there's there's a there's a good amount of real estate spent on talking about the death penalty. Plus, I mean, it's hard not to like want to read into the story too. Being being published by Camus during uh, France's occupation, you know, in Vichy France, France, Jesus, Fran, uh, France, France. <laughs> 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 I'm doing my best. I'm gonna do my best to to. I'm already failing, but I'm really trying to to avoid Frenchifying my speech in an embarrassing display. You you can you can go for it. I I'm not. I'm I'm incapable. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, uh, let's just get started. Welcome to Pleasant Evenings Book Club. Uh, this is Roberto, uh, joined here by Corbin. Hi, listeners. We're here to talk about The Stranger, written by Albert Camus. That's perfect. I'll cut that out. Uh, Albert Camus. It's clearly Camus. There, there's a U.S. at the end there. Yeah. I'll always get the pronunciation right because of the episode where the critic goes to the Simpsons house and to show how smart he is, he just gives us a little rhyme. Camus can do, but Sartre is Smartra. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> Every time anyone mentions either of them, that's my... I should, I should watch more of that. I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to as a kid. That was like the only show I couldn't watch as a kid. Everything else I was able to they don't want to watch the critic for his for his pithy observations. Camus can do, but Sartre smarter. <laughs> In this house, Sartre is seen as a, a 
a dilettante. What's what's a dilettante? What is that? Dil uh... As someone who dabbles, not a lot of experience, but imposes themselves into. Oh, that's amazing. Like amateur, I guess. But it's usually meant to talk about uh, pretentious people. Oh, similar as dabbler, putter, kinker, mm-hmm. trifler, non-specialist, layman, layperson. Okay, I could I could handle being called a layperson or a non-specialist or a dabbler. Even if someone calls me a trifler, I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling her. <laughs> uh. Oh, there's a funny story um, in Sartre's autobiography about when he's a kid. And like his aunt is visiting and he was like, a, you know, like he was a, a smart kid. He, you know, he was reading and stuff like he, he felt like he was like a special guy. And like the aunt, their aunt, like the aunt like introduces this game where people like ask these questions, they answer them. And he describes it like, like what would be like his debut as a, as a writer and a thinker. Cause he's like answering these like deep questions, like a little kid. And the, well, the, the one of the first question is, like, what is your uh, dream, your great dream in life or something? And Sartre wrote, uh, to die for my country. And the aunt just, like, looks at him disappointed and goes, it's only fun if you answer honestly. And he goes, like, well, that shut me up. And that was my great debut. It's <laughs> funny. This game is more fun if you're telling the truth. Yeah, I guess that's... um. That was a big theme, I guess, with this period was like uh, uh, authenticity and right, uh, like authentically being yourself, which is kind of a trap in its own way. Like we're at we're we've had so much of be yourself, uh, you know, as uh, us moderns. Uh, but like for the industrial revolution, you're born on your farm or whatever, or you know, you're born into whatever circumstances. Your father does a trade, and you know that you have that trade going for you when it's your turn. You know, you have a community regulated by by the church, and you know it's like it's it's a lot more cut and dry. And I'm sure there's you know medievalists and so on will will say no, there's room for self expression, for self invention, but you, you had to be you had to be in those spaces to be doing that. Though. Right, it's like very rare. That... I don't think the lay person was really talking about authenticity or, or any any kind of existential philosophy questions like that until i don't know after coffee shops or, or those parlors opened up yeah like i guess like yeah society like makes room for that kind of stuff there is more more free time or specialization in labor the print and press being invented probably helped did it too there's more books now after a while like people keep putting that thing it's like what do you want to do what do you want to do what do you want to do that like, now it's uh where it's, it's at the opposite where where it's like a that question is a is a crisis. Like if I don't answer this question by the time I'm thirty, uh... right? What what am, what am I doing? Um, yeah. But on that note, do you want to get started or? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. So so I mean per- personally, I, I I quite love this book. Um, it starts powerfully, right? With her mom died today. Was it yesterday? Yeah. I don't know. Immediately showing us, uh, yeah, like these very serious things that happen in a very like ambivalent kind of narration. Yeah. This guy's, this guy's mom died recently and he needs to take some time off work to go out into the country uh, where his mom had been in a, in a retirement home for a while. And I guess like the, the aesthetic trick that the, that the book pulls is that it writes, it describes things in a very dispassionate, terse 
sort of way from the perspective of someone who isn't out to make a lot of um, emotional observations about things. He just talk about he's just talking about like how tired, sleepy he felt on the bus, um, how the light, how the sunlight uh, greeted him at different points, like the impressions that he would get from the heat or how the chair would hurt his back. He's 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 very he's very dominated by his physical states. Yeah, uh, yeah, which I think I think that's yeah I think that's really because he doesn't have a lot of uh, a big emotional reaction to his mom dying. And in fact, like not doesn't have much of an emotional reaction or attachment to to anyone really. Um, but it's interesting, like even if you uh, even if you like subtract all these things that we expect from a person, like your the, your basic reality as someone who has a body is still intruding on 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 his uh, experience. He wants the light to be turned off because it's making him sleep. He wants to boil potatoes because he's hungry. Yeah, he'll have a conversation with some guys just because it saves him the effort of, of making dinner. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, found, I found my first time re- reading this part one of, of Rousseau to be very difficult to understand. And, and uh, the second time, though, I, I, found, I found him rather relatable. Also, like, I, I've had to go through a mother's funeral before as, as well. So like, I I can I can understand his choices of not wanting to see the body, um, oh. not not crying, not not trying to be emotionally phased. Because mm-hmm. because I mean it's a very un unreal event where where like you 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 will not at all be in touch with your emotional state. Mm-hmm. During that time period, yeah, it's. A, I mean, it's. A, it's a. Yeah, it's a surreal kind of thing, and especially, especially like the way that funerals can be so, so public. Like it's really strange that he that when he goes to see the body or not to to, to not see the body. Um, first, there's a there's a vigil, and it's all these people that Marceau has never never known that are surrounding him, and they're all her friends, and they're all looking at him, right. It's really weird when in these situations where people are looking to you to play out like a kind of drama. And I can't, I can't yeah, I can't imagine. Um, uh, but something interesting about, about uh, Marceau is that he's, um, the narration like later describes that he'd like long lost touch of, of his, of his emotions. Like when, when he's at the trial or when he's um, being interrogated, I think he says something like that, like that for a few years now, he's been, um, detached. Yeah. Like mostly just focused on the needs of his body or something like that. There were, there was, I guess something that happened before this, cause his, his boss at the shipping company had offered him like a promotion to go travel to Paris or whatever. And he, he was indifferent to that boss got all upset. Like, why, why don't you care? Why, why aren't you, uh, more what's 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 the word um uh ambitious ambitious yeah wanting for more being ambitious and he he said it like oh when i was in school i totally was yeah but then once i was forced to not finish or drop out by by circumstance you know i i came to the realization that 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 was 
that was pointless. Yeah, did it say that that he that he was he had to drop out for because of us because of circumstances? Yeah, some yeah, some something like that. I I would have to dig a while to parse out what what exactly was was stated. I mean, that kind of tracks in its own way because the question of freedom comes up a lot. Like we're talking about like this thing about like you can be yourself or whatever. Um, there's a lot of emphasis. There's a lot of uh, pressure on you to to be ambitious in in these ways. But so exa- exactly what this translation says is when I was a student, I had lots of amb- ambitions like that. But when I had to give up my studies, I learned rather very quickly that none of it really mattered. Oh, when I had to give up my study, yeah. Part, part one is complicated. So, like, not not only are we looking at like what what is being stated very minimally, like a lot of what's not being said, right, also matters a shit ton. Yeah, there's like yeah, there's a lot of um like ellipses. There's a lot of uh, uh of uh. Like information left between the lines for you to to parse through, like the way that um, okay, so like he couldn't afford to to um have someone take care of his mom, but they're also talking about how he's how for the last few years that they were together, they were never talking to each other. She would just stare at him or something. Yeah, what do you what do you what do you say about that? Like we we talked about everything we possibly could have. <laughs> I could be remembering it wrong, but I feel like when he told the story, he was saying that she had run out of things to say to him. And then later in the trial, um, it's flipped to say that the reason why he sent her away because he ran out of things to say to her. Right. Could I have gotten that wrong? No, no. I am. I'm sure. I'm sure it was flipped. That that trial kind of flipped a lot on him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess one of them or both of them just didn't didn't have things to say anymore. Yeah, so I wonder, like, he, like something, like, yeah, there, there's uh, an invitation to to imagine some kind of backstory where something happened and made like a light go out. Yeah, and it seems like, and then later, like, we don't get like we don't get to see a spark come back until much later when he's condemned to die and just like stuck in a cell. That, that's when either a spark or a snap happens for sure. Yeah, but like now that you call attention to that thing about about him having to give up his studies, um, I kind of glossed over that detail, but that is very telling because that's a moment where where his um, you know, and, and who knows like what else could have happened in between, um, or before or during or whatever. Um, but so he once had dreams; he had to give up his studies. Realize that's that's pointless to have ambitions to like have plans for the world and from then on just sort of like just sort of takes things in and dispassionately receives them you know is maybe maybe a nice protective tool from the, the, the disappointment of life and not not i don't know achieving those ambitions yeah. or fitting in with what um whatever the constructive normalcy was of finishing school yeah, and like there, I think there is like some kind of insecurity at the heart of him too, because it seems like, like you know, a character that is so so blank to try to understand him. Like I don't know, you, I kind of um, want to hold on to any time he expresses any kind of preference or or reaction. For sure. And 
one of the things that seem to like activate him is the feeling of being judged by others. Yeah, especially if it were, if it were negative, right? He he always wants yeah. to be cordial, right? Um, and it's funny how sometimes it's just like in this like uh, uh <laughs> like just direct interpersonal way, like the guy that is like managing his prosecution, he just says he just wants things to be uh cordial, like natural. He wants to, things to be natural. Like it, it, it does grieve him to be to be hated until until the end, of course, and we'll get to that. So this guy's like having trouble fitting in, not putting a lot of effort, but also but it still like weighs on him in some way. I think this uh yeah, that kind of that kind of um that framing of like of a protective uh reaction to uh, to pain is is maybe a uh a good place to start. Like it's a good clue about what's going on for him. But yeah, regardless of what his uh, which may, maybe I'm reading too much in, into it, but that's <laughs> yeah, I think that tracks a lot. But uh, uh, in the spirit of taking things uh, at face value, um, yeah, let's uh, go on. Keep a on going, bit. definitely. Uh, yeah, regardless of the cause, like he's there at the funeral. He keeps vigil. Her friends are there. He, let's see. I'm trying to think of like going back, think about the trial, and like working my way back. Um, he talks to the, to the funeral director, he offers him coffee and he rudely accepts. He thinks about having a smoke. He realizes it would be, um, that there's something odd about it, but then he decides that it's ridiculous. Like no one's, it doesn't hurt anyone if he has a smoke and he, and he offers the, the funeral director a smoke, a cigarette as well. Or is it the, the caretaker, one of the two, the caretaker, the director? Oh, the caretaker, Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm conflating. <laughs> the caretaker takes a cigarette. Yeah. Which right now feels benign. Um, he he refuses any... He refuses wanting to see the body. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, not to... I don't want to, like, put you in that place again. You're saying, like... No, no, it's... it's, it's relate to. Yes. Was it, like, uh, an aversion? Like, I don't know. Like, how you read it or based on your experience? Like, it was... Was it an aversion to wanting to see it? Or, well, like, a... So... I, I was I was on about May to then maybe too strong of a word choice. I, I I was told to like you you should go in and see the body. You, even even though it, w- it wasn't prepped at all by the funeral home or anything, they had just received it because they were going to do uh do the cremation process right before mm-hmm. that happened. My dad decided for me you you should go in there because if if you don't, it's gonna it's gonna fuck you up. Because I mean, I, I wasn't there when she died. I was still at school. Oh, sorry. So she's like, oh, it, you know, he was like, as far as you're concerned, she's left somewhere. So you, you should do this for the finality of it. Like you, you felt no initiative to do it, but was there resistance? I mean, like, or at least as we read it in Marceau, if you wanted to stick to the stranger, um, like, did, would you read resistance into? refusal to see the body or is it more like so um after experiencing that i i could understand why someone wouldn't want to because i mean it's, it's not it's not the body is the person right you're, you're you're just creating this memory this last memory of, of the body of, of of the person just you know all oh. all, all like bruised and, and injured and like not really there yeah right yeah because like your memories of a person is like them being, is them being like the person you knew and not uh, 
you know, I don't want to be uh, disrespectful to, to corpses. Not 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 this not this thing this this item, right? That's interesting. I and I could see, and you know, who knows what's going on inside of Marceau, but I think it is. Uh, you know, if we go with this protective uh, reaction, I think it still works. Well, the thing about Marceau, I don't, I don't think he really knows to protect himself or, or whatever, being ruled by those physical states. But even with that, yeah, I, I, I could, I could understand. Yeah. Totally not it, wanting to do that. Um, like clearly like Merceau, like part of what, um, what makes him interesting as a character isn't just that like he's disconnected from other people, but he's also disconnected from his own emotions. Not in terms of not feeling them, but not, not being aware of them. Cause like whenever like these notions spring up, like he's like, I didn't know I had the ridiculous notion of, of crying cause I thought they all hated me. It's like when it bubbles up as a physical thing, he notices it, but otherwise, you know, like he doesn't know why he shoots the extra bullets. After he interacts with his neighbor, the old, the old one with the lost dog, he says like, Oh, I, I mm-hmm. thought of mama after that. I don't know why, but I did. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, he can't, like, he can't, he doesn't have the, the, he's not ready. He doesn't have the, 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 the tool set to interrogate that. There is a moment where, so Marie, she wants to get married and he's like, yeah, sure. Okay. So like, if he doesn't feel any way about something, he'll just go with it. But he, you know, he refuses to see the body like there is a it's not like he doesn't care he's not like this you know whatever like he's not this robot right i I just i don't think Mm -hmm. he understands what is not like from a physical source so he he could like think about these things they pop up and spring up he's completely disconnected as to where it's coming from right yeah there's another moment where marie says something like uh i'm busy or something and he doesn't like follow up and she's like, don't you want to know what I'm busy with? And he's like, I was curious. I just hadn't thought to ask, which shows, um, I guess all of those things, the, uh, he will uncover that, but he doesn't know that he would want to at the same time at the funeral, at the, at the vigil. Yeah. It, it, there is something negative to that. Like he is ex- like processing it in his, in his own way, or maybe processing is too generous, but he is reacting to, to the tragedy. Yeah, what happens next? Uh, he falls asleep at the vigil, doesn't really talk to anyone, and then they go out on on a walk. On what do you call it? The uh, the uh, I, I guess procession, right? Yeah, I think that's the word for it. We, we meet what's what's his name? Old old Peter. Yeah, it was Perez. Perez. Yeah, we're gonna get every French. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. He had, he was like his. He was uh his mom's like best friend lover maybe mate yeah either way like, we don't know because uh Marceau doesn't take a lot of curiosity doesn't take a lot of interest in him let's say that this procession is go walk you know walking to the village i guess the resident home is pretty far from uh from, from the main part of town and as it goes like perez is like a you know as an old man like with a bad leg and he's doing his best to keep up but he can't so he like whenever there's a turn he like cuts the corner to keep up again and as it goes on, he's like getting like he's in like getting in worse and worse shape. He did he did good. He did a good job keeping up though, taking the shortcuts and Right. 
by the time he gets there, he's crying. He's frustrated. He's like pushed to his absolute limit. Like I, this must be the worst day of his life. I don't even know what author would write a story from his perspective. That would be so harrowing. Kafka can do it. Maybe Nietzsche. No. Maybe Nietzsche can do it. <laughs> right. It could be a an episode, uh, a little parable. The Walk of the Last Man or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. So he gets there and passes out. Um, Marceau. When he arrives, I think the only uh, meaningful interaction he has is with the is with a nurse there who gives a who just says something about how you know if you if you go too if you go too slow you'll get sunstroke but if you go too too fast you work up a sweat and then you get a chill in the church so there's no way out I think is the phrasing there's, there's no no exit yeah it's something that that'll come up again and it's another question about about freedom. Because the the one thing is like how free are you, and then then you know you take that further. It's like how meaningfully free are you? You can what, what choices can you make that'll really make a dang difference? Yeah, especially I guess we'll see. I guess especially in the face of death. Oh, there's a, a small detail I think is is um, a neat quirk in Marceau's character is the way that people so easily drop their guard around him or just sort of end up being able to speak with him freely um i think it's with the caretaker who spent some time in paris or i don't remember if he was from paris but he talks about how oh in paris there's more time to grieve because of the weather yeah and down in algeria they just have to run out (laughs) and then he catches himself and sees how it's maybe um disrespectful and marceau just goes uh, marceau says like uh I, i didn't mind hearing that i thought it was very interesting and that's like a, a a a quirk that he has a few times, like when he's like listening to people talk, where he's just like struck by by their points of view. Like he's not in touch with his own mindset, but being so with his own like feelings, but being so so clear because of that, he's he does accept other people's points of views relatively freely. Not not just mentally too. Not yeah right. We'll see that with the we see that with the dog later, and I mean, yeah, I guess we'll get to those. Yeah, that's the stuff that's like so 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 chilling is everything with the uh, the gangster whose name is Ray Raymond. Yeah, so I think that's it. Was he a gangster? I, I thought he was a a night watch guard or something at a warehouse. <laughs> was... I think that's like uh, <laughs> I think that's like a uh, um. I think they imply that that's was that a lie. I think it's implied that that's like a front kind of thing. He has connections with the mob, anyways. That's true. With with the with the underground. Um, it seems like a, like like if I were to have a fake job as a as a mafia goon, that feels like a like a really plausible kind of cover. I guess they'd have similar hours. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's so secluded that, like, who could say that they were there or not? Right, so if your alibi's ever whacking, I mean, is there ever... Well, here, I signed in at the warehouse at this hour. Right, my mob boss can, can tell you all about it. <laughs> uh, uh, there was a... I forgot where. I was driving around. I was on a trip, I think, and I saw there was a store that felt like this is this has to be a front... It was a store that just sold lampshades. Um, which may- maybe maybe they really found their niche. Yeah, it's quite the niche, but it's so funny that it's like lampshades, like clear, like lampshading where the money is coming from. I mean, if they're all uh, artisanal, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe they maybe they just didn't go in and see the finest lampshades in the in the Midwest. Sounds like your loss. Oh right, yeah. So so we'll get to this uh, honorable 
Night Watchman uh, warehouse guard slash pimp question mark. When he gets to, he goes back to um, Marengo. He wakes up. He's in his empty apartment. He talks about how it was the right, just the right size when his mom was there, but now it's too big. That's how he had lived for a few years now. So he makes the observation that he's awake. He's cooking and him some smokes. Right. Like he's not ready to face the day or whatever. Um. So, yeah, he has this observation that nothing really has changed in his life. His mom is dead now, but his, it's the same life that he had before. So there's the normalcy, authenticity, tension again. And when talking about... um, Okay, like, okay, so he had checked out and his mom wasn't talking to him or he wasn't talking to his mom like they weren't speaking anyways or whatever. Maybe he failed in his duties, but also he couldn't afford to have her there like there's something where like regardless of how he would have felt about things it seems like that's you know not to um uh not to you know engage with things in the in what i guess what sartre would call bad faith but it seems like he didn't have a choice in the matter of whether of whether that would be like the outline of what his life would be like i guess had he taken the job in paris but i don't know if he would have gotten with his mother anyways right i mean at it seems to me like he didn't have a choice, but I guess in in, in that illusion of of freedom, of of choice, mm-hmm. he, he is he is uh, rationalizing it as oh well, this is probably what we wanted anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's best for us or whatever. But what does he do with this new with his uh with his day? He, I think it was here where the, I love the passage when he's staring out the window. I thought it was really well well rendered. Uh, like as the day changes, like the as the the character of the street changes, the light hits it differently, and the way people behave on it, the kinds of people he sees are different. Um, Moviegoers running around. Yeah, family. Tobaccoist shop. Seen him hanging off the chair in such a way that he decides to do it. Yeah, I guess there's something to be read there into you know this kind of like. Um, I won't say false freedom. I'll say like freedom with an asterisk, where uh, somewhat where context affects like uh, the way human dramas play out all the time. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. So I just yeah. We could like really. I'm sorry. Let's uh, zip through a little bit more. Um, he goes out for a swim. He runs into Marie, who he used to work for, who he used to work with, and had a thing for. They flirt. They they get close very quickly. They have more of a thing. Um, they go to a. <laughs> they go to a movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it it was it was a comedy. Yeah, yeah. I looked it up. Uh, it looked like a Fernandel movie, which apparently was like a French comedian at the time. I don't know what the equivalent for for American movies would be. Maybe like Chaplin. Adam or... Sandler, right? Uh, oh yeah, Adam Sandler's a good one. Or, or some some Paul Blart. Mall cop. Yeah. Yeah. Paul Blart is good because, like, either way, like, as far as Marceau is concerned, he just thinks it was, he thought it was a kind of a dumb movie. He didn't really like it, but, I mean, he was uh, just uh, canoodling with Marie, anyways, during the movie. He brings up his mom's death, but, um, but, like, eases Marie's anxieties by, about, like, whatever, like, discomfort about it by just being chill and so they they go back to that normalcy that kind of like natural niceness that he likes so well um 
they go, I think they sleep together. And, like, that was his day. Um, what does he do on Sunday? Is that when he looks out the street? First he goes swimming, and then the next day he looks out the street? Yeah, yeah. The Monday he goes back to work, and then he's really back into the swing of normalcy. He, yeah, he talks about how he works hard, he kind of, like, goes through work, he... His, his boss asked how old his mom was, I think, and then that was the end of the conversation there. Yeah. Or was it someone at the at the funeral that asked him how he was? But either way, like, he can't answer. He can't really answer. He's, like, oh, around 60. Yeah, each, each time he was, like, oh, old or oh, around 60 or... It's kind of interesting that no one no one pries him past that. But it does it does strike them. Like, he thinks he's, like... He's kept things civil, and I guess everyone decides to play along, but then later in the trial, they bring it up how it struck them as odd how he didn't know. Like, they could tell he didn't know her age. Yeah, so I, I guess I guess everyone's kind of taking inventory on him. I guess, like, uh, yeah, we'll, um, we'll talk about it, I guess, more in the... During the trial. The trial, but, like, the way that his um, sense... Whatever, his... Um, affect repulses people um remind me reminded me of uh into the wood the way people responded to to the main character there when she when she came to like uh the insomnia of the of the kurhus yeah yeah like if you're not like everyone else like in these subtle ways they'll sniff it out that's true but like they you know they know that something's off at the very least that's a kind of anxiety I can kind of relate to, honestly. This uh, this difference. Yeah, sometimes I feel like there's a like a, a kind of um, social script everyone just kind of implicitly knows, and I'm always like at a at a loss how to engage. Well, that's a little different, I guess, from like not knowing your mom's age. I guess they're 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 fishing out something uh, deeper. I than a knowledge of what's natural or whatever. I don't know. Do, do do you know your parents' age? I have to do some math, but yes. Okay. I I mean, I was going to say I I would also have to do some math of like, okay, they were born <laughs> this year, so they're probably around this age. Yeah, maybe uh, Marceau like maybe Marceau could do that math, but but he's um in this for the sake of keeping things smooth, doesn't want to stop and be like, okay, hold up, she was born in nineteen oh seven. Maybe he's just like, oh, around sixty. And he thinks he's uh, keeping things simple that way. Right. Oh, I'm I'm not pausing their time to do the math. <laughs> if I don't give him a quick answer, it's more suspicious. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, but like jumping back into the story. Yeah, this is the part of the of the book that's like less of a story and more like little episodes. I, in no particular order, the three things that happen is we're introduced to. To that old man and his dog and their drama. Old, old man Samanko, I think it was. Samanko. What was his name? Or Salamanko? Salamanko? Yeah. yeah. They're nice names. I just. Uh... <laughs> and he's, you know, uh... he's me and a doggy. They're living together. He could hear yelling from the room of, oh, you stinking animal. And it's something, speaking of, of that kind of like silent judgment like everyone is kind of like disgusted by his behavior um i found it like you know certainly just like listening to the description that um were so very uh dispassionately describes it, it was a little um sickening 
like this they described like this by appearance is mangy dog but it turns out it's a different kind of disease that is that is like constantly being like beat yelled at and um dragged along can't stop to go pee and you know like there's there's some curiosity there about like why what kind of relationship is this with this dog like why is he why does he will why does he lock himself into this I don't know. Toxic? Can you have a toxic relationship with a dog? I I guess so. Apparently, you can. One time, he was at it with his dog. I think it was something like that. One time, he was at it with his dog, and Marceau asked him what was wrong. Well, a rare moment of of um, proactivity from Marceau. He asked what's wrong, and and Salamanco. I hope that's um, just goes like he's always there. Familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? Hell is other people and also dogs. They're always there. Yeah, so we're introduced to that and we're also introduced to to Raymond, who is a humble night guard watchman. Yeah, he just he makes sure that the inventory at the warehouse is safe and someone's gotta do that job, goddammit. But people people don't think that. They people think he lives off of his girlfriends, but he he's very adamant that no, I do no, this I work. In fact, there's this. Uh, I have a girlfriend that has been living off of me, and like this guy, this guy has got to be speaking of sickening. Like here, it was the this section felt like um like taxi driver or something. The, the sort of like look into the way you can just casually observe cruelty in these dense urban settings. Right. Um, he like talking about this girlfriend that he has and how I don't know, it's a really dark portrait. Like he seems he like controls all all, all her finances. Like he controls her like but right, she buys some lottery tickets and is like, I know how exactly how much money you should have, so there's no way you could have afforded this and I don't know if he talks about beating her then, but He he doesn't his plan was to get her back with a letter to convince her to come back, and then he was going to spit on her, I think was the extent that he told uh, Marceau. Yeah. Uh, but the reason she was gone is because like he had, like, um, cussed her out or something. Like, he was, like, mean to her, but when he thought he was, she was cheating, and he got into a fight with her brother at one point. He talks about that story, too. Yeah, that's why he was wrapping his the, his fist with, with that rap gauze oh, thing. Yeah. Now, there's a part that an actor I feel like could really eat up. That I'm sure, as an act, as a, in a film adaptation, I'm sure an actor would love to like have this kind of, you know, a prop to work with, like a monologue to tell. This is a, it's a compelling thing to 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 read, but it is very um, abhorrent. Um, but yeah, he um, he uh, ropes Marceau very easily into writing a letter to her for him that would uh, win her back so that he says he can spit on her. And Marceau, and he asked him, like, do you think that'd be a good way to get her back? And Marceau's like, I guess she would She would not like that. I, that is true. That would be a way to... That'd be a punishment. Make her feel bad. <laughs> you would be punishing her. Like, the questions aren't about whether she deserves it or anything, Like, but, like, the questions that um the that Raymond like puts to him are more straightforward and he can answer those easily like when he sees the uh when he found the the receipt for some jewelry 
that she sold. He was like, so you think that she's probably cheating on me because of that? And he was like, yeah, that seems reasonable to me. And Raymond just kind of takes that as, like, also, and therefore she's bad, she deserves, like, he, like, maybe extrapolates from that, but he's just answering whether or not it seemed like he's cheating. Like, yeah, that seems right. Right. And, oh, like, that, 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 would that, be seems, a good, oh. that seems reasonable. Like, I, I could see that argument being made. I don't think he ever really says, like, <laughs> yes, oh, for sure she is, but. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he's not even, he doesn't even go that far. You, you, that is a, a that is arithmetic I can follow. <laughs> I see the uh, reason there. Yeah. I, I guess yeah, Raymond yeah, offers the... Marceau friendship in return for writing the letter. <laughs> pals, right? And I'm not sure how much he wants the friendship, but he's not against it. He does say, I think there's another part where it comes back where people don't like Raymond. I guess that I'm sure reasons for you know the way that people can pick out you know talking about like the the sub the unconscious sort of like filtering out or whatever like picking out people that are different in some way it does work in that um have you ever heard of the gift of fear no i've not yeah, i i think there's i think it's a book or something uh it's like this idea that you know if like especially like you know like especially if you're a woman like you always got to be on the lookout for dangerous men um but if if you're like kind of talking to someone and before you can even put words to it, you get a gut feeling that things are, that things are the situation's dangerous. Yeah. You know, I guess sometimes uh, there's, there's good reason for that. That's something to, to take stock of. And who knows what the explicit reason is that people don't seem to like him, but people complain about, about Raymond and um, Marceau does like have a, does quite this thing to himself like I, I don't mind him talking i think what he says sometimes is quite interesting yeah that, that's, that's the extent of his judgment towards <laughs> ramon yeah he is a character the way that i would appreciate him as a book like the way i talk about him being like oh that would be a good role for an actor to play probably the most colorful character in in this um in this <laughs> novel is ramon actually after having a fun yeah. time with him i agree yeah, the other thing that we get is uh, Celeste, who he's friends with, who's a restaurant owner. He's there at one point, and and he sees this woman who who catches his eye. Well, this it was, robot. Well, so it was woman. it was weird. Yeah. Well, Miss Robot Woman was like, "Oh, hey, let me eat at your table real quick." Marcel's like, "Yeah, okay," and Marcel's like, "Oh, yeah, that's fine. Whatever." Right, but there's no lines. It's just a sort of vibe that there's this, that they describe, and she like methodically orders, eats her food, pays for an exact change plus tip, and walks out, like swiftly. And like he even like follows her out. Like he can't. There's something about her that really like, again, like I, I'll you, I'll like point out any any time I can when you see Marcel express any kind of interest uh, or proactivity. Yeah, but she doesn't get any lines. I think that's that's the last we see of her for now. Yeah, well, um, I don't know. I I don't have a full. I don't really have a full read on like what her importance is. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know either. Um, yeah, she seemed very coked out though. Coked out. <laughs> well, because what else was she doing when eating? She was like checking off on on the 
some magazine like all all the upcoming yeah all like all the upcoming (laughs) radio shows oh yeah yeah what's up with (laughs) she was very meticulously just into it (laughs) i yeah i guess you might see that more nowadays if someone's on in an adderall haze or something (laughs) yeah who knows like i i think there's something and i can't yeah i don't have anything like clear to to say about like what she means i think it's interesting as a sort of counterpoint to to um Marceau's sort of um detached state that he's in versus yeah. her so maybe maybe she's like a maybe they could have been soulmates who knows yeah <laughs> right maybe he saw in her like what he was going through or like what he saw himself as uh yeah i don't know there's I'm sure there's writing on on it. Maybe we'll maybe we'll touch upon it later. For the sake of uh moving on and go- keeping pace. There's a part two to the to the drama of Raymond. Sa- the man and his dog. Oh, that too. Yeah, dog doggy doggy runs off. Yeah, and the old man is like distressed. He's like asking for for help. Um, like asking has anyone seen the dog? I didn't think he would run off. He, um, and Marceau tells him about how the pound works. How they try calling them. How they you can get him back for for a fee for a fee. And this is like this means a lot to the old man suddenly. Yeah. And he tells eventually he tells him. I, I think we're going a little bit out of order, but uh, he tells him about about how. He got the dog after his wife died and ended up growing old together. Doggies have the most beautiful coat. It's it's odd because you wouldn't guess that the dog means that much to him, but suddenly in his and in, in the dog's absence he's looking back at uh his marriage and on the dog that he used to have. I guess the old man didn't know the importance of the dog until after after the dog was gone. So yeah, I guess there's a couple of lessons there. Like you don't know, you know, fully what's going on with people, but also like it also makes you look at that violence too, like in a, in a different way. Like how related is this to to the wife? Yeah, um, you know, Marceau later makes the observation that. To the old man, honestly, though, to the old man, uh, the dog and his wife were the, the worth the same to him. Like one was just, they were just, a, he was like filling in a slot, which is a very, I guess, very ungenerous way to to read it. Um, I, I guess, I guess at that point, what's being expressed is, is that there's an inherent value to to all life. Yeah, maybe if they're worth as much, it's it's, it's to elevate the dog, not to. Yeah, to it's, it's not it's the, not knocking down, right? Yeah, but but to to the old man, it didn't seem to. I don't know when he's hitting the dog. I I don't know. It doesn't reflect a lot of value. I mean, who who knows how he treated the wife? You're right. Yeah, makes you wonder. Not to uh, you know, to put too uh, too cute of a of a package on it. I don't know if like this read um, extends much more, but like um, like we're talking about like a uh, mortality. And, like, you know, facing, uh, facing the end. I don't know, facing your life in 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 light of its ultimate uh, meaninglessness. 
There's something also to the idea that that the old man had become old at this, you know, in tandem with the dog, and like how the dog just like his pre- its presence pisses him off. So maybe there's something to like the dog as a sort of reminder of his wife's death and a reminder of his like impending death as well. Not to no, that's that's you know not that that would hmm? no that that's also probably fair as well. Looking at this dog, probably presents yeah. a whole bunch to him. <laughs> yeah there's something <laughs> um it used to have a beautiful coat and he doesn't have that anymore um but then like the coat was the best part of the dog too like that's so fucked up yeah i don't know as 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 um you know you have like would you say the coat is your cat's best attribute uh which which one so i mean lance is an awesome fur coat I mean, really, like, I mean, it's part of his personality too, though. You know, like, like it's it's kind of dirty and wild looking, and and, and like kind of tabbyish, oh, but yeah. not. And, and there's cool splashes on it, and <laughs> he but, kind but of like it, appreciated as like an extension of like his personality because because the... he's also like kind of wild too, and 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 like. Doesn't listen well, but the level <laughs> what he wants to be too. Like it, it just it just works with his persona. <laughs> it's like another the code, just like another way to appreciate the the entire to, to appreciate the entire Linus. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a ex- externalization of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not that it's bad to appreciate a code. I'll say the the image of him putting the ointment on the dog is sweet, but that treatment it's hard for me to forget. Yeah, it it is. I mean, you know, this this doesn't justify it, but I mean, the mistreatment of the dog is probably mistreatment to the aspects that he's forced to face because of what the dog is going through. It's rough, but it's compelling. Like that's um. It's a neat uh, format because like talking about like what the story is going to be. I could I could take a, I could read a story from for almost any of these characters. I'm curious about the robot lady too, but I don't know what how that story would play out. I don't know what we'd be. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get much for a story. I guess being chased by a random dude out of out of the restaurant. <laughs> Sorry, not I chased. Was trying thought. to read my newspaper when this young man. Uh, <laughs> Just follow me around dark alleys. <laughs> I knew my radio show was starting in thirty minutes because I saw it in my newspaper. I, I don't. I, I we all. I, I don't have anything for. Her. Uh, and we also get a part two to uh, uh, Raymond's story, where it the plan worked, and I want to know what the heck uh, Marceau wrote in a dang letter. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's also another show that maybe Graham, uh, that maybe Marceau isn't so robotic because he is capable of writing some kind of letter that would get this response. He is aware of of other people's emotions or other people, you know, judging. He's aware of how other people react to things, and he's not like far off necessarily. So he is able to like, uh, I, I I guess that's a. I don't know why I was hesitant to say manipulate, but I guess that's what he's doing. He is capable of manipulating people's emotions that way. 
uh, you know, I'm looking back, I'm thinking back to the beginning as well, how when he, when he told the boss, it's not my fault about his mom dying and eating the time off. Um, he's, he realized how ridiculous that was. And he almost like wanted to say it again to, um, to Marie when he mentioned the, the death of his mom. And he knows it's ridiculous when he thinks it out logically. But like where that comes from, the impulse to say it's not my fault, um, I'm thinking now like probably has to do with like the way he, because of this awareness of other people's emotions, I think like when you bring bad news to someone, you know, sometimes you might say, I'm sorry to have to be the one to tell you or something. Um, I think like maybe like uh, there's something to how when information is received, like the response might not be logical. I can see, I can imagine, you know, I'm sure I can imagine the boss's, you know, Marie's discomfort or the boss's like impatience with him, um, like being picked up. He could also be saying that because I mean, maybe, maybe he is feeling a sense of guilt of saying her to that home. Oh yeah. It's not my fault. Could be a, a broader thing too. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard because I mean, just, just the style throughout the whole mm-hmm. part is, is so minimal. Yeah. Yeah, I think both could work. Like, you know, it's, it's interesting whenever his emotions bubble up. If he wanted to combine it, I don't know. There's, no, there's, I guess there's no answer. I think that's a, that's a very smart read. Because he's often, he's always asked to justify, um, you know, the life that he had his mom live at the end. At, you know, at the end of, at the end of her days. Um, if you wanted to combine... To, to combine them, you might, you know, it's possible that maybe um, the the emotional friction of having to deal with someone um, then brings out his other emotions, too. Right. Because, I mean, so, I, I mean, I guess, I guess mm-hmm. the, the root of it, I, I, I can't, I can't view Marceau as, as being this monstrous or completely indifferent um character I, I think he's trying very hard to and he's usually very successful at it but <laughs> yeah there are some moments like when he said he stopped visiting his mom because um like in part because it was eating up his sunday and he didn't like to <laughs> deal with the hassle of taking the bus you know on some level that can be relatable like you know you love the people in your life but sometimes you don't want to deal with you know some things are hassles um but to hear it the gift so bluntly stated as just like and like that reason was enough to for me not to to stop seeing her well, i guess in the everyday you're not you're not you know no one thinks about the mortality of of their parents either yeah and then suddenly when they die, you know, you think about, I should have, should have taken that trip. should have taken more pictures. Should have spent less time at the office or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Raymond, so Raymond has, has his girlfriend back. This was, this was a monstrous fucking scene. Yeah. Yeah, so like someone said, my stomach turned. It was that it was difficult to read and just sort of like I had to like stomach it. Um, yeah, he's like, I he's not just like spitting her would have been gross enough, but like he's like 
hitting, he's like yelling at her. She's like in terror. She uh, the the apartment wakes up to her screaming, and the police intervene. She she goes away, and Raymond is like weirdly proud of what he did. Like whether or not they put me in jail or whatever, she got what she deserved. Whatever the phrase the phrasing was. Right, she got what was coming to her. Yeah. Um. Oh, I think it's an interesting detail to throw in that. Well, I guess it, it's relevant later, but. Um, from her name, uh, Marceau realizes before he sees her that she's, um... Moorish. And then her brother is just described as just the Arab. Yeah, that's one thing. I mean, these these Arab characters are unnamed. I don't, I don't even think the next girlfriend is ever named, right? No, no. We're just given a description of the name as something foreign. <laughs> There's a, that's a subtle political, uh, aspect of the story. I don't think like the phrase like killing a person it, like is does not come up as often as shooting an Arab. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean that 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 trial that trial was fucking bizarre. We're, we'll, we'll get there momentarily. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why Mer- Merceau still chose to do it. Do this at this point, but Raymond asked him to be his witness at the police station, and he says, "Yeah, sure." Yeah. That that's that's the stuff that makes you that that kind of uh, that that distances you more from from Marceau. I mean that that that's maybe the one thing I can't defend. I think I can defend most other choices. Yeah, even the even the killing, you know, not to not to be the Antichrist's advocate here. Um, but at least, like, the way he's described, he's in such a weird, like, heightened state that, you know, you could chalk it up to a moment of, of mania or something. There's more than mania. I mean, there, there's a knife involved, too, right? Yeah. So, he's threatened, he's just in a weird dissociative episode or something, or... I mean, there's a, you know, it's like one of the mysteries of fiction of why does he shoot him? Right. What happened to him in that moment? I mean, it, it was, it's definitely a showcasing of, of the the absurd. Mm-hmm. This idea that, like, this moment just happened because it happened that way. Right. If for, um, I'm thinking back to the House of Usher how the sentience or the power of the the house came from the I just remember I remember the phrasing like the collocation of the stone yeah and the trees and you, you know that that beach like, that beach scene was constructed in such a similar way right <laughs> right you're you're one uh yeah you're you're one uh tree branch facing the correct angle away from committing the worst <laughs> murder of your life. Well, you just face like a no, a no exit scenario is either go back up the stairs to, mm. to deal with telling another narrative again, continue walking on the beach or, or make it to the spring where I guess there's shade and water. Yeah. And there's yeah that that falls off like he there is something like something about other people that gives him a horrible anxiety, yeah I guess let's uh let's run through really quick so we can get to the uh, beach outing yeah um yeah like we said cause, um like we said uh 
Yeah, he goes to the police station to help to help out Raymond and say, yeah, he was cheating. She was cheating on him, which is kind of messed up on its own. Like, uh, we can talk about like these, uh, you know, undesirables in society who are acting, you know, in this way that we find repulsive. But it says a lot about our society that that's enough to justify any kind of violence towards someone, right? You know, I'm t- they they let him off with a warning, right? They're like, okay, just don't do it again or something. Mm-hmm. French Algiers was fucked yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Raymond then uh, invites him to go to the beach, to the uh, dreaded beach. Like if things had worked hadn't worked out that way, think of the confluence, the 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 collocation of things. Uh, you know, had he not helped Raymond out, had he not had he written the letter differently, you know, maybe none of this would have happened. But he goes to the beach uh, with Marie. He hangs out with. Raymond's friend, who has a name. Uh, fuck, what was it? Marson? Marson, yes. And his wife, Emmanuel. They're at this beach house. They're hanging out. Uh, Marceau rec- notices, recognizes like a, a tick that Marson has where he'll, he'll like add meaningless, a meaningless turn of phrase to a sentence, just like a redundant. I'd even say... I'd uh, even say that he's yeah. a stand-up guy, and he like quickly tunes it out. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of patience for like things that don't like make sense to him, or like these like uh, fake gestures. It's just, uh, something that gives that character a little, a little pop. So when he comes back later, like, oh yeah, this I remember him. Um, and I guess I, I don't know if they mean to say that there's something shallow about him, like he's normal or whatever. But you know, what is his contribution? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a word. What is contribution it sounds so fucked up. Um, but like what is his uh, <laughs> to what end? Do we do we have a sense of how he appreciates the world? Uh, he he has a speech house that he enjoys every day. I mean he's living the life. That's what we want. That's what you'd want ideally is for things not to bother you and to have a nice place to to sit. I would totally love to live by water again. Yeah, water's nice. It's uh, it's something that comes up a lot for, for Marceau. Enjoy swimming. That's a a little happy place for him. I think so, especially with Marie too. Yeah. Oh, I guess one of the things we maybe we glossed over it. Um, he he does mm-hmm. agree to marry Marie. Yeah. There's something that makes you wonder about Marie too, because she asks him a million times, like, "Do you love me?" And he's like, "That doesn't mean anything." But no, I don't think so. <laughs> and. She asked him, like, well, if any other woman had asked you to marry you, would you have said yes? He's like, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, I think she finds him interesting. Yeah. She says, like, oh, he's so different from everyone else. Right. Like, she says, she she wonders why she loves him, too. And going back to, to this kind of freedom thing that we're vaguely um, circling around. There is that way that, that love can feel that way. You can't really choose, like, who who you're drawn to. I guess you can choose to pursue that or not, but... <laughs> yeah, but is she reacting to that thing that makes people want to be his friend? This kind of, uh... I don't know, like, there's... Is he kind of like, um... Like his Rorschach... Rorschach... Uh... Quality of people being able to just agree into his personality? I think Marie is... She's not really projecting much. She's... She was trying to get to the bottom of him. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, they, they have they have a swing of relationship doing it. Uh, there's an interesting moment when um, he and Marie. I guess there's something to like they swim together very easily. So there's obviously like like a a compatibility too that's that's physical. Like maybe it has little to do with with uh, their souls and just like have a nice like uh, uh, physical chemistry. I mean- that doesn't sound super challenging. So it's got to be there, but to like swim with someone like wrapped around your back or whatever, like yeah, in tandem, like <laughs> and you know there, there's something to that's very valuable. You know, later, like I think like she sticks by him, she visits him in prison, but after a while, she stops writing him letters, and he's like, well, if I'm here and she's there, and our you know my body is is our bodies can't like interact, like what reason would she have to be with me? Just it doesn't give credit, I think, to her commitment that she had had for for him for a long time. Maybe makes him look like kind of a fuckboy. Yeah. Um. But uh. I mean, he, he probably wants her to have moved on to. And if he's like so so checked out, like the body stuff is the only thing that he can like observe. Like that's there. If he's so like out of touch with with himself. True. It's hard to justify a lot of things. Um when when he can't point to anything there's a moment too when they're at the beach house and she's laughing with emmanuel he says like and for the first time i really thought we were gonna get married yeah i don't know if that's exact phrasing but that's it's interesting he'll like go along with saying it too and we're talking about his like his aversion to to sort of uh interpersonal friction where the 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 prospect is brought up of getting married he's just like not against it he's like yeah sure why not and I guess it's the first time that he sees, like, how it would be. And I think this plays into um, later when when he's at the beach and, he, you know, that kind of, like, uh, either, like, you know, that kind of, like, you'll regret it or you won't. You'll regret it either way thing where it didn't make a difference to him to go back up or, or go back into the beach, like, in the sun. Yeah. Like... I wonder if that's like a, a sort of um, a panic about slotting into this thing that he doesn't connect to. Fully understand. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. That, that kind of ordinary life. Perhaps, per, perhaps that in in an inauthentic life. Yeah, especially in a moment of um, like high spirits too, because uh, um, yeah, going back into the uh, into the recap, um, he. When they're out on the beach, Marceau, Raymond, and I already forgot this guy's name. Uh, <laughs> Mar- I had it. Mar- Marsoon? Marceau? The third guy. Oh, man, Marceau. Yeah. They go out for a walk, and they run into and they run into uh, Raymond's girlfriend's brother, who who Raymond is sure, like, has it in for him. Probably does. You know, that's, that's kind of... Um, but right before they had gone out to the beach... Raymond says, "Like, oh look, there he is. He's he's been he's following us." Merceau says something a little a little racist, where he's like, "He's looking at us in that way that they always do. They, you know, this very suspicious they, um, with that kind of indifference, as if we were just rocks." And as they move on, he says, "Like, and they were still looking at that spot where we were, which makes me wonder, like, were they even looking at?" <laughs> yeah, that kind of does bring it for for debate, doesn't it? Or maybe they're trying to look. I don't know. Yeah, because it could yeah, you could read either way. Because why are they at that there? Why are they there at that beach? Could be coincidence. I don't. Could it could not be. 
But is the reader going to trust anything but, Ramon says says at this point? Yeah, yeah, he's not a trustworthy uh, individual. I could see the, you know, in a, I guess in a Merceau fashion, I will say, I could see the argument for why Raymond would say that they're, they're, he's being followed. Right. So, yeah, so he sees these two... Um, these two people, the the brother and I guess a, a friend that he brought along, and the vibe is like, oh, we're gonna fight now. So they get ready to do their fighting. Marceau sitting back because it's two on two. It's like if anyone else shows up, you you take on you take them on. Um, but then one of the one of the Arabs uh took out takes out a knife and stabs, uh Raymond. So they they go out with their like their, their tails between their legs. He gets some medical attention back at the house and um there's a scene where the the women are asking him what happened. And after a while he's like I it was like he didn't want to explain, so he just looked out the window and smoked in silence. Yeah, I think that's the first sign of him checking out from from that social situation. That's an important seed to plant before he go he chooses not to go back into the house. After after Ramon gets better, he goes out he goes out with Marceau again to where they are. Um where this time Ramon has a plan um uh for for how to win the fight, which is shoot them with uh, the gun that he has. And Marceau like talks him down from shooting them. Yeah, Mar- Marceau manages to pretty successfully defuse the situation of like well, no, don't don't just don't just shoot. Wait until they pull out, out the knife again. Yeah, give me the gun, and if they do something, I'll sh- I'll shoot them. But maybe you can take them on fair and square. So that's how he gets his hands on the gun. So then they they walk across the beach to this nice little spring that they're hanging out at, and they, they have this confrontation where nothing really happens. They, they both they both look at each other, but like there, there's or both groups look at each other, but there's no. Mm-hmm. I think either side really yeah, wants don't boil anything over. that is right. Everyone seems kind of done. Yeah, I don't remember like what uh what makes them turn back. Like nothing happens, right? They just walk back. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't recall anything happening at that point. I, I, I guess the sister's brother has a you know has the knife in hand and his jacket ready to pull out at any time, but both sides manage to stand away from or you know get away from that standoff. They walk back to the beach, Raymond to to the beach house. Then I'm I'm looking it up actually. Let me just see if if we get a line explaining how they how they leave. And at that moment, I realized that you could either shoot or not shoot. Oh, but all of a sudden the Arabs backing away slipped behind the rock. So Raymond and I turned and headed back. Okay, so the so the, the Arabs defuse the situation by stepping stepping away by removing themselves from it. I guess that's smart. You see a gun, maybe just get some cover. Right. Um. Yeah. But they so they walk back when they go up to the house. Raymond goes up, and then Marceau has this moment. It's like I could go back up to the house, or I could turn around. Turn around and walk on the beach some more. He chooses the latter. I guess you really don't want to go back up the stairs because I I think at that moment. I guess it was like if I go up to the house, I have to deal with. All of that, talking about what happened, I guess. Yes. Um, maybe we're talking about that. We were talking about before about sliding into normality, and you know, just something about it just doesn't has negative appeal to him. And he walks back to the beach, back back on the beach. The sun is like, uh, really heavy on him, and he thinks back to the spring where the Arabs were, and he just wants to get some to cool off in the water. When he gets there. It's one of the Arabs. 
you know, obviously he's expecting trouble, so he's got his knife out. Marceau sees a knife and that and he gets his gun out. And after a while, things just get to him and he shoots the and he shoots him. Right. Yeah. It was it was pretty colorful imagery. Like everything was what like blood red around him. The, the, yeah. the sun was it the, the knife blade against the sun kind of felt like it was searing against his forehead or something. Yeah, I think that's that, that's that's true. Like as a reader, that really helped me like buy it or appreciate the moment if it reads as a sort of climax of things building. And it has to be something that it's not um, that isn't like oh I shot because I was threatened. It has to be I don't know just sort of intensity. It's like just happening. It's 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 a very how would I describe it? A intense global indifference. Yeah, but one that's like actively uncomfortable. Right. The, the sun the sun itself don't give no shits. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's just burning away. The 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 seashells that like are glinting off and are glinting off on that sunlight into his eyes. The heat that that's surrounding him. That's the wind, whatever. Like all that stuff just sort of adds up. Yeah, I guess we were talking about before the the collocation of stones. Um, yeah, so he shoots. So this all builds up. Yeah, I thought it was really well done. It was. Um, he he shoots the guy, and then after a minute, he shoots him four more times. I like that phrase too, where it was like knocking on the door of unhappiness. Yeah, that was a good one, wasn't it? Okay, so yeah, let's get back to part two. <laughs> we got this. Um, yeah, I think it's important that we went into such detail for everything that happens in part one. Because uh, when we get to the trial, this is kind of... Um, oh, I guess there's some stuff before the trial. Um, it, it's a lot of dealings with the, with the magistrate. Yeah. Yeah, I think I called like the second half like the more uh, explicitly philosophical one, because here it's mostly just people sitting in rooms, I guess, um, and talking things out, or you know, even just like process playing out that is sort of like skipped over, like yada yada yada. Like nine months went by and we had meetings every day, and like what they're talking about is, you know, um, they're talking about stuff from the realm of ideas, not like uh, logistics, right. Yeah, the magistrate is, um, he's interested in his case, and he's interested in uh, Verso's, like, salvation. Yeah, he, he really, he's a guy pusher, isn't he? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, first, like, he'll give you, like, a free, let's you try it for free, and then once you get hooked. Once you get hooked, there's no going back, not even once. It's, <laughs> these impressionable criminals are being... <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess this is where this is where Marcel uh, gets kind of fucked the first time. I, I think when when he expresses this idea of well, I'm more annoyed than I am than I am uh, remorseful. Mm-hmm. I think he goes as far to tell the magistrate, which is uh you know kind of interesting because uh, yeah, some emotions have less to do with um whatever your inner world than they do with like kind of like how your brain works. Just sort of um you're in uh, you're in the middle of something and then something interrupts your train of thought. You might have a reaction to that. Or you're hungry, so you feel, you know, a yearning. That's just very direct. Right. And yeah, after this happened, he's not thinking about, oh my God, I've ended a life. He's thinking, ah, now I gotta 
sit in this room and talk to these people. <laughs> now I'm a prisoner. Or now I'm a criminal. Which he, he seems to accept pretty well at first, too. Yeah. And it's pissing off the 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 magistrate. Right. Once he like breaks uh once some or so like breaks the normal script of someone who is facing the the depth of you know the consequences of their actions or whatever like the the shame of their new role as criminal of like this new classification of person that they now have to live their lives as or whatever like he's used to people being feeling really sad and he's like how come you're not re- responding the way um i i expect you to and the other thing is like he keeps like rejecting you know god's salvation or whatever and i think there's a very telling phrase where he's talks about how much the lord means to him the magistrate yeah and he says do you want my life to be meaningless oh uh, yeah that's right that's right because <laughs> he says like oh i think everyone should or can be saved and like that's that's true i feel like that you do see this a lot especially because like you know christianity but I guess I could say about any, um, you know, like ethical system or, you know, cosmological justification for the world. I mean, I guess anything that attempts to modify man. Yeah, it's it's very easy for this stuff to take on a universalist quality. And then once it does, anything that, you know, anything that challenges that universalism knocks out the bottom on the whole enterprise. Oh, for sure. Well, and, and I mean, uh, we're still giving the perfect response to He's like, well, what what does any of that have to do with me? <laughs> Right. We're just so, uh-huh. we're so, it's, it's rhetorically perfect. <laughs> mm. and it's, it's funny for someone who's so like out of touch with themselves. I mean, I guess really is a stranger to themselves. Like that, that's a, that's a scathing reply. Yeah. And, cause, and I, that's something that it's a reply that, you know, he doesn't need to be in touch to, to be able to pull out that observation. But it's interesting by, by being so blank, he gets to see these different, like, uh, um, personality oh these different responses to um you know these high-minded you know metaphysical claims are reveal themselves right and i mean marceau is so i mean he just maintains this air of honesty throughout this whole this whole thing he's not lying out of this right the only thing that um yeah, right. he's just like saying the facts that he, that that happened. He's like he's kind of like resigned to it all. But the only thing that he regrets is the magistrate's anger. Like he wants things to be a- a- amicable. Um, it's interesting. Like he wants to be accepted and understood, but doesn't try to like push. Not push is maybe the wrong word. Um, but he doesn't insist on being understood. He just wishes it were so. Right. Well, he's not aiming to lie to be understood or, or be amicable. He's trying to filter yeah. out his truth. Um, he does end up at least getting the easiness. Like, that's what we were talking about, like, um, um, him and Maurice's uh, relationship. I don't know if this is a, a weak link, kind of is, I guess. Um, but, like, how, you know, um, she doesn't really understand him, but she's drawn to him in some way. She appreciates how he is if not like who he is or what he believes or anything because like that's not something that is of interest to him anyways but they're in touch enough to be able to swim in perfect synchronous synchronization and later with the magistrate things do mellow out as they're working out the details of the of the case um he ends like he says like i never thought i'd feel that that the happiest thing would be when he would probably pad my shoulder <laughs> And what do you, what do you call him? And he him? says, like, all right, uh, that'll be all for today, Mr. Antichrist. That's what it was, yep. Like, call me Antichrist or whatever, but please be friendly about it. That's all I want. 
Just be nice to me. Do it with a smile on your face. And I'm sure he could tell if it was a disingenuous smile. It's, you know, it, he eventually the magistrate got used to him, at least. Even if I think Antichrist is maybe not a fair reading of Merceau's condition. Unless, I guess, you just take that in a very literal way, like, not Christ-like. Right. Because he's not exactly... Because he's not, like, the mirror image of the Christian notions of universality or whatever, or love or whatever. Unless... Hold on, I'm talking myself back into it. You know how they say uh, the opposite of love is indifference? Yes. I, I, I think I think he's Christ-like in some ways. There's, there's some reversals there. Yeah, so maybe the magistrate was right in more ways than he realized. But he's, because of his beliefs, he is being uh, executed by the state. Well, I don't, I don't know about the, for the beliefs. Uh, belief is a strong word. Whatever, <laughs> because of his... I mean, I mean that could, that could be a reason. I mean, I, I think the real reason they're, they're executing him is because he did not cry at his mother's funeral. Oh, oh, how about this? Let me. Ju- because of his lack of beliefs, he was <laughs> executed by the state. Perfect. So in a way, it is the it is the anti anti it is the antichrist. It's a good way to read it for sure. Um, the way I read it initially, although yeah, there's something there. The way I read it initially was just sort of um, like he the the magistrate is projecting like the thing that scares him the most you know the the, the opposite of his beliefs onto him i mean I, I think he is doing that but i i think kimu is doing something else with that yeah like maybe like uh the magistrate is doing that but the book is doing something else with having the magistrate call him that. that yeah i think that's the best read of it but oh yeah <laughs> right I, I don't give the magistrate a lot of credit um emotionally or psychologically after that outburst. <laughs> and then when they're at the trial, um, it's good that we went through everything in part one because this trial reminded me of the beginning of Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> where, where all all the parts you do in that game. Every little thing. It's like... <laughs> it was crazy the first playthrough. And you ate that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. You... I did. Yeah, I remember like making the wrong choice. I'm like, no, I, I, I'm generally thinking, oh, if I picked something else, maybe it would have gone different. You know, what's was crazy. I, so I, I read The Stranger before playing Chrono Trigger, and then playing Chrono Trigger I was like, wow, we this is this is a Camus reference. <laughs> that's the way to yeah, that's the way to. I mean, chronologically, you're right. You did it in the correct. Because they 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 decided to end up executing Chrono too. Yeah. <laughs> that's a the extra crazy part is if you're found innocent. The chances are still like, oh, kill him. Yeah, which you know. So either way, you're screwed. Another, another uh, elegant reference to, to, <laughs> to Camus' notion of the absurd. Yeah. Yeah, there's something more to it. Um. Yeah, because I remember replaying just to just to get it right. Like, no, I will help out. I will. <laughs> I won't eat that food. I will. I will find the cat and bring it back to the little girl. That's mm-hmm. that's that's why I felt extra bad about. Oh. <laughs> I guess the food um, too. I, I didn't. I don't realize. Yeah, it's like it's like accepting the coffee, and you know, and there's people that go up on his behalf. Although it's never as nice as as um. Oh, he did help me with the cat. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, and I'm sorry if we if it's a little out of order. Um, I think it's interesting that even the people that speak on his behalf don't really have much good to add. Like I, a funny, a funny, sad moment is when Celeste gives his his testimony and he had like this patter prepared but it was but like the first like the the judge didn't have a lot of patience for it but also 
I mean, con- content. Yeah, he just kept repeating like the. If I may say, it's it's just bad luck. He's a good guy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, what else? It's like, oh, it's a it's a matter of luck. <laughs> like it's funny. Like he was like, um, he had this like one kind of thought, but like really couldn't um expand on it. And maybe it's something to do with the idea too of luck or whatever. Where I mean, once you say that, like, what else is there to add? But he. He didn't really have much to say about about Merceau. He got so got so caught up in in this one observation. I mean, the, the judge really had a perfect response to that observation too. Yeah, he said, "Oh, we're in the business of dealing with bad luck." Right, it's these cases of bad luck ex- precisely that were that we're meant to judge. Yeah, which is yeah, which is kind of interesting because so much of the case isn't about whether or not he shot the Arab. Everyone agrees on, on the fact that it becomes a trial about his moral character or or whatever. Like how to judge the the luck is how to judge his um, uh, disposition towards it. Right. It, it all really, really came back to the mother's funeral. Mm-hmm. Right, where everything's picked apart. Which I, which I thought, which I thought was so cruel and un, unusual. Because I mean, that's the, <laughs> like, um, but I guess it was foreshadowed because when he's at the at the vigil, he felt everyone is sitting around judging him. Right. You, you know that confrontation with the mortality, mortality like that. That I mean, that's what really um, breaks any sense of normalcy for for sure. So you know, I, I think I think it's reasonable to not cry during something like that. And that's a that's a kind of terrifying thought that that you'll be that you'll be judged or that or not even the judgment or even even the quality of the judgment itself that the idea that um there's something that'll cross through your mind I'm sure if if you're not reacting the way people expect you to that the idea that there might be something wrong with you for that when how when how how often does someone deal with something like that <laughs> yeah. Speaking of chastity, you don't know what'll take someone there. But um, part of the judgment, I guess, is that um, that he's heartless, that he doesn't care about anything. Which, you know, we can talk about like the magistrate being threatened in his sense of uh, purpose in the world by someone who doesn't care. Um, the prosecutor then saying like it's the same, you know, it's this heartlessness, this this nihilism. As they perceive it, I guess it is nihilism at first. Like I don't think he finds a way out philosophically until later in the in the story. That's true. You know, so it's like, so you know, you don't think you think nothing matters. Like nothing phases you. Uh, life is so meaningless that when your own mother dies, it means nothing to you. And so, yeah, of course, you're you know you're the Joker. You. You'll kill someone on the beach for no reason as well. You being outside will lead to others committing parricide. <laughs> yeah. That prosecutor was reaching hardcore. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, he wanted, to, like, his goal was to inspire as much hatred as possible for, for him. And then later, when they had that trial, the judge um, said. <clears throat> You're innocent of killing your dad. It was the guy before you's fault. You would not believe his attitude. So he actually was uh, set free. Yeah, can you imagine if that happened in the sequel novel? Uh, yeah. Uh, instead of the stranger, it's the... Uh, the, it's the... What do you call someone who's not a stranger? 
the acquaintance. The acquaintance. And he shows up to trial, and and he's he's all fucked up. He's like, "Hey, it's not your fault. It was this other guy. He he did it. He drank coffee at his mom's funeral. Yes, he offered a cigarette to the caregiver." <laughs> Um, any other like details in the trial? I'm sure like there's more, there's stuff to dig into. I think Celeste's like shallow. Um, I think what you said is right. The, the main thing is his react, his reaction to his mom's death. That's the the biggest thing about it. Everyone else is kind of. I think I guess Marie can be touched on. There's something funny about how Raymond shows up, and that some makes his case worse because he's such a despicable character. Yeah, but yeah, and then the person you know reaches again about you know this disgusting crime conspiracy that him and Raymond had together. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Raymond wasn't a good witness. That's a real moment that you know <laughs> the jury. I was like, damn, this is not that it should be based on these emotional uh, readings. I was like, that would be like, damn, that's so messed up you helped him do that you piece of shit i bet you did mean to kill him <laughs> yeah um but even though it was his gun and his beef with that guy like somehow that um Merceau inherited all of it including the actual committing of the sin itself right yeah i this is i guess where some of the political aspects of french algiers that um I, I hope Kemu is kind of commenting on you know, not once during this trial oh. is, is the Arab name, not once is the sister of the murder brother brought up. Yeah, she wasn't even a witness. Yeah, like, like the I mean I I think this is an insanely kind of list canalistic um Well is that word canalistic? Canalistic, yeah. Co- co- colonialistic, colonialistic, there we go, that's better. I wonder, like, uh, there's something I guess we could have... I always say this every episode. There's always something I could have researched beforehand. I bet there's something to the French uh, polit- uh, legal system at the time. Uh, privileging uh, white uh, witnesses and French citizens rather than Algerian subjects. For sure. And I, I, I think, you know, Camus being critical of, of that much... Even if he was someone mm-hmm. ambivalent of, of the overall occupation. Right, yeah. I think uh uh yeah, even if he didn't know like what uh what horse to what wagon to hit post to hitch his what metaphor am I going for? <laughs> even though he didn't know like what flag to wave, he, he understood the basic injustice at the heart of that system. Yeah, and I guess they through through Raymond a lot of that, um a lot of that criticism gets to like take take form. I think it's interesting how he comes, he gets out, you know, some judgment for being so crude, but his basic prejudices, like the way he treats women, the way he treats uh, the racial minority, or not minority. The occupied. Yeah. That's not inherently uh, <laughs> bad to the system. It's it's a sort of the lack of, it's the lack of um, civility or justification that someone like Marceau would, would represent. The Antichrist isn't someone who's racist and beats women. It's someone who doesn't cry enough. Precisely. Yeah, and there's something too, like the way he's so blank and kind of reflects other people's uh, wishes on for them. Like Marie who wants to get married or Raymond who I 
you know, all of and that. Everything. Wants to, wants to be his pal. <laughs> yeah. It's like his, like he was like, he had to be talked down from shooting, <laughs> from shooting that guy. So every, he got everything that he wanted. Thanks to Marceau. <laughs> um, maybe there's something to there. Like we talked about um, Camus ambivalence, but he was also, he, it's not like he was, he was a political cipher. No. Cause like he was like engaged in resistance against the Nazis and I guess with the Vichy government, you could say, you know, there's something to the to the collaborator that a lot of people find very abhorrent. You know, say at least like at least the the, the Nazis believed in something if it was horrible, whatever. Uh, but the people that just did it for their own, that did it without thinking. Those are the bad ones you gotta watch out for. If it's meaningless, it's super dangerous. Yeah, because it, it's it makes like one who. I guess it's a cliche to say, you know, that that cliche, like, if you don't stand for anything, you'll, you'll, for something, you'll fall for anything. Yeah. I guess it's a, it's a valid cliche. Like, it does make you susceptible to other people's uh, designs or prejudices. Yeah, there, there's there's some um, susceptibility there for sure. Oh, there's another moment earlier talking about, like, that kind of, like, um, blankness that people, like, project onto. When he's talking to the magistrate, I think they talk about um, him getting a lawyer, and it's like, "What do I need a lawyer for?" And they explain the system. It's like, if you can't, if you don't get one, then the state will provide you one. He says, "That's really convenient." And the magistrate goes, "Yes, it's a very good law." <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, Marceau is Marceau starts to get a little nervous as things move on he realizes that things are stacked against them the yeah the prosecutor gives this crazy speech about his particular state defining the moral rot of of humanity he's responsible for all the patricide that occurs <laughs> again I, I give my praises oh. to that def- oh. defense lawyer really doing his his best a little, a little more so Marceau didn't give him much to work with, so yeah, so it makes sense. But he wasn't as impressed by his uh, oratory as much. He found it uh, lacking substance. Even though, like, Marceau is a character that doesn't, like, share a lot of substance. Right. I mean, you know, how, how good can a public defender be? He was, uh, and his speech was apparently praised. Someone told him, oh, what a great speaker. And he didn't really get anything much out of it himself. I, you, I mean... I think you do get that praise, even if you do bad. Maybe. Right. Yeah, it's just the thing you say. Oh, go. That was that's very good. Good job. Then, uh, I think the other thing to just a small detail. I think we can move on to after he's um, condemned. Uh, condemned. Yeah. Um, when he gives that speech, when the defender gives a speech, he like fully, like he like tries to like brush Marceau himself under the rug as much as possible and he switches to to the first person and it's like okay so what I shot the arrow but I forgot what the actual like um thrust of his argument was but he right. like asks a guard there and the, and the guard says like they always do that that's such a weird practice to be doing yeah to, to say I as as a defense lawyer uh, I wonder if it's a if it's a Frenchism or if it's uh Camus trying to say something about the legal system or about like the emotional kernel at the heart of all our, you know, philosophical arguments or logical arguments about things. Probably all the above, right? 
I mean, maybe who's, maybe, who's maybe that's maybe that's a cop out answer. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure how the French justice system works now. I I guess I am curious. <laughs> yeah, to, to we see. don't have enough French legal dramas. I mean, it, it, I mean, definitely Marceau is also appropriately called a stranger. Even here, he's a stranger in, in his own uh, defense. His own trial. <laughs> he gets a he before the speech. He does get to defend himself a little bit. Yes. And the judge is really curious because he, you know, he, I forgot he said it, but it's like, at least that's an assertion. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, he explains it was, it was like the heat of the, why the sun. Yeah. And yeah, cause then yeah, I was like, okay, you have your, I'll, let me give you some space to speak. Why did you do it? Or why did you, and yeah, he just says cause of the sun and the disappointment from the judge there. Yeah. Like that's, that's an answer, but that's not a reason. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i don't know maybe he could have uh expounded more but you could repeat um camus you know prose exactly which we found you know we were just talking about how effective it was and that, that's no good in the context of a courtroom it's the wrong uh discourse right which is also like another crazy surreal thing to to deal with being put on trial yeah and like these uh these kind of like phenomenological questions about your place in like like your experience of the world like are not are like are not relevant are completely erased and which and for this character then we have this character and it's like that you know the state that he's in he doesn't have you know a reason you know reasons for living he only has his his experience of the world to try to take things in through um later when he's talking when i think when he's in jail he talks about the things he loves and will miss and there's some affection for Marie, but it's all, but it's like, he just talks about like, um, like the sun and the water and the, the, the streets, like these very like tactile, you know, sensuous, sensuous as like, as in like sensation, like feeling. It's probably fair. I mean, cause I mean, I, I think he was wishing to see like Marie's face from out of the bricks and, and couldn't. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it'd be weird to... It'd be weird to to distract from the social aspect of, you know, of that kind of experience of things. Like the way that uh, rejection, like, you know, you know, is experienced so, so viscerally for him. Um, it'd be yeah, that aspect of like having someone with you, even outside of any notion of love, which means nothing to him, is still, you know, is still structures or it still has some kind of... Um, substance on a more like immediate level right um you know we're so we're social animals like you know like what even is an emotion any i don't know like, we're social animals inter- like it's it's an inherent part of our brain to seek social ties and that's to relate in some way do i continue the summary of events i guess there's two there's two main ones being condemned himself in in the name of france Right, the name oh, of French yeah. justice. Right, and like from his perspective, we get to see like what 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 curious uh, declarations those are. Right, it's like is this is by and for the French people <laughs> somehow. Funny again, given how little they care about the Arab who died. Right. Yeah, but he's in jail and he's adjusting to to his new life. I think we can move on to to that, right? Yes. Here it's more of a a haze for me. It's just kind of like days melting together. I think he describes that experience where um, days of the week lose meaning. It's only yesterday, today, and tomorrow that 
matter to him. Yeah. Um, he get it, it takes some adjustment. Like, he misses sex. He misses Marie. He misses his cigarettes. But he eventually makes peace with all of that. Um, he talks about how his mom had told, had taught him that one could adapt to anything, get used to anything. Um, you know, and obviously, like, the stuff to read into into his state in jail is just kind of a metaphor for, uh, you know, living life. We're born, you know, into a world we have no no choice into what world we're in. You know, we could think of all of existence as one big prison. Right, there's multiple of other lives that could have been lived, but you have your, your own. And I guess we get some details about how he about how he copes. And in part, like the main killer in jail is like there is a he does he 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 feels his lack of freedom more um, intensely there. Obviously, he's just in a cell. Um, he, he makes some observations of the imprisoned evening versus the free free man evening. Yeah, yeah, like the the sky taking on a different quality. He talks about um, how he copes by um, engaging with his memory. Engaging with the memory of like his cell layout. Yeah, I learned how to remember things, but he doesn't talk. But he doesn't talk about his memories uh, of childhood or whatever. He's like, you know, even someone who's lived a single day has a lifetime of experience to to enjoy. Yeah, they could last a hundred years in prison. Yeah, <laughs> and. Like he just like just like really burrows in on the details of first his bed and then for like his bed his nightstand the stuff on it and then the details on those the the marks and everything yeah. that reminds me so I hadn't had a lot of experience reading Camus before uh but I had read this book called uh, At the Existentialist Cafe that's uh. I, I re- highly recommend it. I'm just giving props because it's like a kind of like a, a history of the existentialist philosophers. Um, the writer guy kind of goes through the history of their lives and how their ideas developed and interacted with each other's ideas. Yeah. So it starts with Husserl going into Heidegger. I guess there's a little bit of Nietzsche that's like prehistory. And, you know, and then it's like mostly that generation of French philosophers, the the Sartres and the Camus, the... Merleau-Ponty's. There's a there's a description of that Sartre I think like took to heart as a writer um, from some other someone else. He's, I forgot. So sorry. I'm giving credit to credit to credit. But in terms of like experiencing the world authentically and directly, it's also it's like um, clearing away like this cloud of like a uh, of, of essence that we assign to things. And there's like a bit of advice for writers like description of things. To, like really like you said like you have to like look at a tree for example, or a fire so intensely, the tree is unlike every other tree, and that fire is unlike every other fire. Instead of seeing, you know, the the qual the the category of tree when you see a tree, see like every curve, you know, every turn that the roots take and exactly how the bark is, you know, is see, textured. You're 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 seeing that tree as an individual tree. And you're abandoning every definition of tree that you may have heard. Yeah, like taking in its existence instead of you know it's hard because Marceau is such a such a cipher. It's so hard to read him. There's something to um, being in jail for him that seems to like unlock this uh this quality in his thinking where he really like uh appreciates every aspect of his stay in prison. 
it's kind of interesting how, how bodily he's imprisoned, but mentally, I don't know if he's doing okay, yeah, but, he... but you know, there, there's, there's some, there's some liberating aspects there for him, I think. But his transcendence isn't like, oh, I'm in prison, but I can, you know, paint the sky. I can live in a world of imagination. It's more like I can like really radically accept this prison that I'm in. Right. Which, uh, which, which is... Which is powerful, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some, you know, it can it can read as a poison pill, but it doesn't have. It doesn't well, have it's, it's, it's not. I, it's different from like a doomer kind of like. Well, this, I'm not, it's not like I'm resigning to being in this life of a prison, but it's sort of you know it's the the yeah the absurd thing of. Yeah, I mean, I, you, I mean, you took the words out of my mouth. He, he said, uh This isn't a process of, of resignation for him. This is a process of acceptance mm-hmm. and, and coming to, to terms with, with what it is. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? I don't remember any other like specific like details or um, episodes to get at before um, he talks to the priest. Oh, I guess like his thoughts on execution. His, his thoughts on execution, which um, I guess is kind of similar to, to his process of accepting prison right he's he's not trying to resign himself to it to it so much as accept it for what it is and that it's it's happening and that he's he's gonna have yeah. to he's gonna have to walk to the guillotine yeah i guess yeah i guess here we can we have the yeah there's a lot to dig into in in all of that um because he doesn't he there is some hope at first which um gets dashed off like i, I think they even like off screen whatever doesn't even get like dramatized, but first he thinks that he might be able to get an appeal, but then that doesn't seem to play out. No. And like this appeal, like gives him hope, which is you know bitter or something. And then like the way he talks about it, he doesn't let himself think about hope until he's already accepted his death. And it's like he he like takes aims to not forget the uh, um, the death that he's accepted before he thinks about um, what life he could live otherwise as well. Right. If, if he somehow gets the appeal through or otherwise escape. Yeah, something crazy happens. And then um, there's an interesting thing, like the immediate thing I want to touch on next that is when he talks about the absurdity of, and I'm using lowercase a absurdity there, or I don't know, maybe... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'll just say whatever the absurdity of of how how coldly logical his sentence is because it, even if something wrong were to happen with the guillotine, just they just set again. it up again. Yep. If he were to be if he were to escape somehow, they would probably shoot him. Like once his state as a dead man has been decided by by the state or whatever. Like once his execution is prescribed when he's once he's condemned it's truly inescapable and he talks about how the state uh the the ridiculousness of it or the cruelty of of his condemnation is that it require that it makes you want to hope that the guillotine will work even though that's the that's the thing you should be striving against the most right i, I forget the the exact wording of it but yeah i mean there's an insane cruelty to have that 10 out of 10 every time finality to this 
killing machine. Yeah. When, when frankly, there's that a lot of collaboration. And there's something. Go on. Like, oh, sorry. What? Go ahead. Uh, just you, you know, there's a lot of finality and certainty in that over human mm-hmm. events and human cases in, in different roles where there's not that same finality. There's not the same certainty of of any of it. Yeah. Like I guess like uh, the um like he shot that guy but there was like uh there was some randomness to shooting that guy um like things could have worked out any other way as as the as our wise philosopher celeste um pointed out but once he's condemned there is no other way things could go it, it's not a if it's a when he'll die which which is absurd with the capital a yeah <laughs> yeah and then, yeah, and then again, if we expand on the um, prison as a kind of metaphor for life, of course, the, the truth is that, um, you know, uh, uh, cosmic computers aside, we're probably, you know, we're, we're, death is, uh, is what waits for all of us. Yeah. Holy shit. Was the, the last thing we read before this was uh, the, the, the cosmic AC story. What a contrast, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like death. I, I wasn't sure what the, you know, we characterized uh, the stranger to be in, contra- in in conversation against the last question because of the last question's weird optimism. But we can, like, even get more specific now that I, now that we're talking about it. I'm thinking now, like, the, the main thing is the optimism regarding death. Camus, or, like, the stranger sees machinery as just something that accelerates death, makes makes things, makes the death even more senseless. And Asimov is seeing technology as, like, no, this is how we transcend our, our, <laughs> our limitations. What a counterpoint this turned out to be, then. There's some contrast. There's even more contrast there than I, than I thought. It's also funny, you know, speaking of Antichrist, um, like the cosmic AC does take on a very godlike role. Uh, role, yeah. So this does get to be the anti-last question. I mean, I think you brought this up before. I mean, there, there's some there's some scary aspects to the last question and, and how this cosmic AC is behaving. Yeah, it does. Like, the more I think about that story, like the more... Okay, even the optimistic view of how technology can carry us past death does seem, the more I think about it, like, the more haunting and, like, nightmarish that kind of, like, bodiless existence is. Yeah. Just seeing the world, like, break apart, become more and more uniform, like, less less of value. Like, they're talking about galaxies and they all look the same the only ones that exist are like artificially made and so i'm sure they just follow it kind of like uniformity it's just the optimal thing and like what even is that and like the the, the we got to the, i guess the point where the computer making everything makes things in its own kind of image is sort of like coldly logical way which is it's it's, it's gross yeah <laughs> sorry i have a more elegant uh word, word choice no no not <laughs> I think just like yeah, there's something uh, inherently abhorrent. Like we were talking about like the body reacting. There's just something abhorrent about it, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, move on. Want to move on to the to the priest? Speaking of, of of strong visceral reactions. Yeah, yeah, the, the fucking chaplain. So yeah, this, this is a fun one once again. Poor Mar- Marceau is confronted with the question of, "Do you believe in God?" 
I think it's so funny the way Marcel like dismisses him. Oh, for sure. Because at yeah. first he's just like, I just, I'm not interested. I don't care. <laughs> did, did you say one point? I, I, I don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think is, is what he said. I don't have the time. I only have the time for things that interest me. Please go away. <laughs> he's literally more interested in the rocks than. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, yeah, for sure. He's more interested in, in what's around him and what he can observe than this metaphysics. Yeah. Right. If it like if it doesn't work on you, if the if the myth doesn't um, resonate, doesn't inspire anything, then especially when you're aware of the limited time you have on, you have to have anything resonate. Right. And like we brought up the magistrate, like pushing God for his own sense of of salvation. Salvation. Meaning. Yeah. I want to read the the chaplain as being less selfish than that i want to read him as like as a more of a steel man for that kind of universal love that christianity preaches i i agree with you i mean i i I see a sense of of genuine care from the chaplain and the way he knows best Mm -hmm. which is just not it's, it's not the best thing for more so at this point yeah and like from his perspective, it's all like from like Marcel's perspective, like the chaplain showing up is just like part of the machine anyways. Right, it's part of that last uh last confession or whatever. Yeah. Oh, uh the the phrasing I think he used talking about the, the thing going all going off like going wrong, hoping the guillotine works is uh um I'm gonna get it wrong, but it's something like I think it was like like ethical, like moral moral collaboration or something like that yes like the 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 priest coming at the end the chaplain coming in at the end is almost like a like it can be read as like the last the last salvo of trying to get you to collaborate yeah yeah the the last i, I like the word choice the last salvo yeah there's something that sounds like salvo salvation there's <laughs> i mean that's that's totally what it is i mean that, that's that's what they're going for and from his perspective, from the priest's perspective, also, like, I think you said that it's, like, the best way he knows how to help. Right. Well, so I, I think in, like, in, in this Catholic, um, is it liturgy? Uh, or, or, you know, in, in, it's probably their creed to try mm-hmm. to do this for executed individuals or to even execute individuals. Because if they give an intense enough human punishment, God would mm-hmm. be more likely to forgive, I think. So there, there's a very explicit connection with, with the, the chaplain and being executed to begin with yeah um oh doesn't uh marx call religion the heart of a heartless world yeah or the opium for the masses as opium as in like medicine like something to help like ease the pain and like it's a it's a it's a tricky thing because like what the priest at at you know at at bottom to you know or not at bottom uh because at bottom i probably what the priest wants is to save him you know his eternal soul like materially like what's happening like outside of the eternal plane is is like that little bit of comfort of being able to to gracefully like let go of regrets about your life and accept uh um yeah those last accept dying right but so like his response is interesting because it's not like about like no i will not accept dying it's more like about like this particular comfort is a waste of time right uh let me see i think it might be worth it to uh to, to read his uh um his last snapping sure why not I, I i have it up already 
Oh, okay, okay. So, pre, you know, Prisa, Shevlin says, yes, my son. He said, playing his hand on my shoulder. I'm on your side, but you have no way of knowing it because your heart is blind. I shall pray for you. Then, I don't know why, but something inside me snapped. I started yelling at the top of my lungs and insulted him and told him not to waste his prayers on me. I grabbed him by the collar of his Cossack. I was pouring out on him everything that was in my heart, cries of anger and cries of joy. He seemed so certain about everything, didn't he? Yet none of his, certain, none of his certainties was worth one hair of, of a woman's head. He wasn't even sure if he was alive because he was living like a dead man. Whereas it looked as if I was the one who came up empty-handed. But I was sure about me, about everything, sure than he could ever be. Sure of my life, and sure of the death I had waiting for me. Yes, that was all I had. But at least I had as much of a hold on it as it had on me. I had been right, I was still right, I was always right. I had lived my life one way, I could just as well have lived it another. I had done this, and I had done that. I had done this thing, but I had done another. And so... It was as if I had waited all this time for this moment and for the first light of this mm-hmm. dawn to be vindicated. Nothing. Nothing mattered, and I knew why. So did he. Throughout the whole absurd life I'd lived, a dark wind had been rising toward me for somewhere deep in my future. Across the years that were still to come, and as it passed, this wind leveled whatever was offered to me at the time. In years no more real than the others that I was living. What did people's deaths or mother's love matter to me? What did his God or lives people chose or the faith they think they elect matter to me when we're all elected by the same fate? Me and billions of privileged people, privileged people like him, oh. who has called themselves my brothers. Couldn't he see? Couldn't he see that? Everyone was privileged. There were only privileged people. The others would all be condemned one no. day. And he'd be condemned too. What would it matter if he were accused of murder and then executed because he didn't cry at his mother's funeral? <laughs> Salamano's dog was worth just as much as his wife. The little robot woman. Oh, Salamano was the mate. <laughs> yes, Salamano. The little robot woman was as guilty as the Parisian woman Masson had married, or as Marie, who had wanted me to marry her. He keeps on going. Should I keep on going? We're we're close to the we're close to the end. Yeah. What did marry that Ramon was as much as my friend as Celeste, who was worth a lot more than him. What did marry that Marie now offered her lips to a new Marceau? Couldn't he, couldn't this condemned man see that from somewhere deep in my future, all the shouting had me grasping for air? But they were already tearing the chaplain from my grip, and the guards were threatening me. He called him, though, and looked at me for a moment without saying anything. His eyes were full of tears. Then he turned and disappeared. Damn, like, that that hits. That's a, that's a powerful... Like the way it comes, like uh, it this is, this doesn't get to be necessarily the the fully optimistic like imagine Sisyphus happy thing, because this is coming from someone who is a like facing the barrel of the gun, metaphorically facing the the blade of the guillotine like imminently. No, and you know what? And I think in retrospect, after rereading the stranger, I think this is a more appropriate um, work in describing or, or demonstrating absurdism than the quote statement of imagine Sisyphus happy can ever be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like there's a whole host of emotional truth, the emotional depth that we can ascribe to Sisyphus. For sure. 
I mean, I there, there's a point in you know wishing that he were happy or imagining him as happy and why that might be important, but yeah, I think the other, um, I think it's earlier in the conversation, like a really telling thing, and it, it's a callback maybe to Nietzsche's concept of eternal recurrence. But the priest, like, like asks him, "Don't you want another life?" And I, like, what kind of life would you want to live? You know, and it's in reference to. You know, like maybe like, having lived a better, richer, fuller life, you know, in the in the light of the Lord, but also, of course, the afterlife. And and Marceau says, like, a, a life where I could have rem- where I could remember this one, like, and if that's not like a like a radical kind of acceptance of of the life he had lived, right? And it's something, and I think that that also gets to why why the priest's uh, condolence, whatever, why his uh, comfort is so hollow to to Marceau. Is because, like, like he's saying, like you think you're free, but you're walking around like a dead man. Like this, um, you know, this kind of illusion just like interrupts, like, like, like you know, covers up, uh, like makes you waste your time. I mean, it's it's it's, it's tantamount. I mean, it, it amounts to philosophical suicide. And um, like I said before, like it helped that that it was t- that at bottom it was to like alleviate the suffering of the of the condemned man to come and uh, be saved and to accept their death. But it's the opposite, isn't it? It's like, if you think you're going to live forever and, you know, if you think you have an immortal soul and then death has become less meaningless than, than the inherent meaninglessness already. Right. Yeah. Not only is it meaningless, but it's redundant against infinity, like reduced to, 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 to complete spec. I mean, it's, it's, it's a dangerous rejection of of the absurd um but and and his rejection is so complete later like he he feels relieved like it's a lot it's the first bit of like you know like passionate emotion we see from Merceau. and he says that you know now now his only hope for and his only wish for the guillotine is that when it arrives there's a big crowd waiting for him and that they all hate him which is an interesting, like, uh, you know, he's transcendent. <laughs> he's evolved because that was the thing. That was the one thing that was that was um, not holding him back. But like that was like hanging over him was people wanting to was like the him. fear of being judged by people. Yeah. Then he fully. Oh, didn't he say also um, when he was talking to the magistrate that like after a while he did what he always did when he wanted people to leave him alone, which is just sort of agree with them. Yep. Pretty crazy character like, flaw. So he learned his lesson. He learned how to be himself. He. <laughs> it's, it sucks. I took a death sentence to do it, but the guillotine was like, "Put that makeup away. You're much prettier without it. <laughs> be yourself." <laughs> I need to be authentic before, before our meeting. <laughs> um, you know, that speaks to to the power of the book. That you know, especially like reading it again after, after like letting the book like marinate for for a few day for a few weeks and like hearing your reading of it it's impressive like how um uh how compelling that speech is the emotion behind it is while inviting rancor like while inviting um hatred like while being so so ugly like it sounds really close to a villain's speech but it's talking about something i think we can all kind of learn from yeah i think so uh, but it's it's kind of a, a villain's you know final speech before he <laughs> laughs and reveals his true identity as uh the Joker. It's it's a little Joker. <laughs> no, uh, what was what was the exterminator villain? 
Oh, Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu. <laughs> a reflection of an imagined plot. Antichrist. No, it was I, Fu Manchu, the entire time. <laughs> that should have been the ending. The chaplain uh, removes his frock and reveals that this whole society has been orchestrated by the Fu Manchu to <laughs> alienate us from our authentic selves. <laughs> wow, okay, that's a three and a half hour uh, conversation on The Stranger. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I guess this is usually why we, we, we break these things apart, but... It was nice to see it all together. I mean, I, I think I think there's a lot of previous talk of, about The Stranger really, you know, heavily wants to separate the two parts mm. because they, they read differently. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't I don't think that's fair or right to do to the whole composite work. Yeah, so before we get before we get tempted into into talking more about it, do you wanna do you wanna say say goodnight uh, to the to the people at home? Yeah, I'll I'll say goodnight to the people at home and to to you as well. That's right, yeah. Thank you, thank you listeners um, and I hope you have a pleasant evening. Yeah, have a, have a pleasant evening. And as always, uh, don't forget you're going to die. Good, <laughs> good we, night. We all share that fate. Good night. All right.